months ago uh, by George Barna. George Barna is a pollster of churches across the country that kind of keeps the tabulation on, on what they believe and what they stand for and the understanding of the people within the church. And here's what he found out. He found out that 1% of young adults, the youngest generation of adults, age 18 to 25, 1% believed in a biblical Christian worldview. 1%. He also went in to look and find out that 9% of all Americans, only 1 in 10, 9% believe in a biblical Christian worldview. And then here's what's the most kind of discouraging stat of them all. When he polled the churches and asked, they thought that they were Bible or born-again believers. Of those who said, yes, I am a bio, um, excuse me, I am a born-again believer. And he did this across the country. Of all people who said, I'm a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, he found only 19% had a biblical Christian worldview. One in five. One in five saying that I believe the Bible to be true. I believe in absolute moral truth. And actually, the six questions that we answered last week. And so if you were here last week, I gave you a survey. And that survey had those six questions. You see them up on the screen. And if you answered true to all of them, you would be considered a, um, having a biblical worldview. If you answered false to any of them, then that's what disqualifies you from being able to say that I have a true biblical worldview. And, and, and what I wanted to do is I just wanted to kind of look at First Baptist and say, how did we measure up? And what I found out from tabulating these surveys was that 75% of you said, I have a biblical Christian worldview. Now, I actually think that's very good, and here's why. I don't want 100% of you believe in that yet. I want you to over time. But I'm hoping there's a number of you in here who are not Christians yet. I'm hoping there's a number of you in here who are still growing and still grappling with what that means. And so some of you have heard me say that I would hope that we would be a church of one-third of us of being very mature Christians. And then another third of us being baby or growing Christians, and then another third who listens to me and hears me speak on Sunday morning of being seekers, that you maybe have not yet said yes to Jesus Christ, but you're on your way, you're on your journey. And I would hope we will continue to have those kind of, I think those are very healthy numbers to have because that shares and shows that we're not all just in here and this is the frozen chosen. That, that we are people who are also inviting others to come in, and others are being here, getting to worship our great God, that message is going out, and more people are coming in. So 75% of you who are here today, or at least last week, said, okay, I believe in all those things. Um, let me tell you uh, which was one's the easiest for you to believe, okay? Questions three and six were the ones that had the least amount of falses. So most of you even, uh, if you questioned one or two of these things, um, Satan is considered to be a 
real being or force, or God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today, were ones that you said, yeah, we, we still believe that, even if there's a, a faults that I might have in, in some of my theology, uh, at least from those six questions. I'll tell you the one that was the most confusing and hard for people to believe was number four that says a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works. So there's some teaching that I need to share. In a few weeks, we're going to because we're going to go over these beliefs. And by the end of this series, I am praying and hoping that you would understand God's word and the truth of God's word and that all these statements are true. It's the very reason we are doing the walk through the New Testament so that you can see how the Old Testament fits in with the New Testament and the revelation of that. And I pray, I pray that you are planning to be here on that night and not just you, Bring someone here with you, or that morning and that afternoon, bring someone with you so that you can have a true biblical worldview of what God's Word says. Because when you start to say, okay, this is wholly true, when you start to say that, that everything in here is from God and His Word, and it's for me to learn, it's for me to grow, that it's completely accurate in what it teaches, that is when you begin to change your life. That is when everything begins to click for you because you don't have a choice to say, well, I'll take out some of this or I'll take out some of that or I'm not sure about that. No, you just say this is God's word and it's all accurate. It's all for us. In fact, look at the verse here out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And I'd like you to read it with me. Would you read it? Go. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Okay, does that say there are some scripture? What does it say? All. All scripture. All scripture is that way for us to learn. But it's not just enough to believe that. We have to live that. It's how you live it at home. It's how you live it when, you, when, you're, when you're watching. Because uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. Bless you. Here's the thing about this. These thoughts of, of, of not following the godly worldview, the biblical worldview, don't just sit somewhere waiting for people to examine them. Satan has a plan to get them in front of you as quickly and as often as he can. He tries to get them in front of you from television, from movies, from music, from newsprint, from the internet, from magazines, from books, from the academic world. Everything he, he tries to bring these thoughts up so that they will in, inundate your mind and your lives. And the more you hear them, you'll become desensitized to God's word and you'll believe what the world has to say. And let me give you an example of how this has worked. I'm not sure if there's uh, people in here who make a regular habit of watching this TV show, Game of Thrones. But Game of Thrones is an incredibly popular show right now. When it debuted on HBO um, recently, a few weeks ago, 10.1 million viewers watched it. When you put together um, the digital world on that, people watched it over the internet. Over 25 million people every week would watch this show last year. By far the most watched television show um, on television. Twice as much as the second rated television show. Twice as many viewers. 
Let me, let me just share with you, if you're watching that, if you're like, hey, that's a great show, and, and not thinking about how it impacts your Christian faith. Let me just say this. I've not watched the show, but you can put enough together when you go on and, uh, online and you um, uh, see people who critique it and talk about the content of it and other things like that. Let, let me share of how these things are so foreign um, and yet sink into our lives, how, how they're so alive in our culture, okay? Let me share a few points here. The plots of Game of Thrones are unpredictably complex. In fact, Forbes magazine says central characters are killed, psychopaths claim power, weddings become bloodbaths, and bad guys develop conscience as time passes. The show is built on the, prim- uh, on the premise that there is no logic to life, that we live in a chaotic world with no central purpose or direction. Now, does that reflect culture? Does culture reflect that? I think they go hand in hand. That, that, that it, just, it just shows what our culture is about today. Let me give you a second point. The show embraces amorality. In other words, good characters make horrific mistakes, while bad characters act redemptively throughout the show. One psychologist kind of praises that for a progressive tolerance that the show legitimizes. In, in a postmodern culture that views all truth, and get this, this is, this is how we live. We live in a postmodern culture that says all truth is personal and subjective. That is where the characters legitimize their rejection of right and wrong. In other words, on the show, there's no right, there's no wrong. You do what you want to do. On top of that, and I won't go into a lot of this, the sexuality that is displayed on that show, um, as well as the violence that is normalized, just shows you Satan has a plan. That plan is to take you down. That plan is to make you not understand God's word and the truth that is in God's word. And that plan is to just pull you farther and farther away. And if you don't believe that there is a schemer, the third question on this survey showed us, that there is a schemer behind all of this delusion, then you're missing the strategy that Satan is working on. In fact, let me say it this way. Um, Back in the uh, 1800s, People didn't understand how diseases happened. And so in the late 1800s, doctors and scientists believed that it was something called spontaneous generation. Basically, living organisms could just pop up from non-living organisms. It was called the theory of disease, that they just popped up, and that was how they explained the spread of disease. Then Louis Pasteur, and you might recognize that name, from pasteurizing, but Lewis Pasteur comes along and says, no, that is not it at all. There are invisible organisms that live and get passed on by the wind. They get passed on when you touch someone physically. They get passed on when um, they're, they're uh, born in food. They get passed on from touching surfaces. Um, they're called germs. We know them as microorganisms today called germs. That is where the invisible world, we cannot see these germs, but the invisible world destroys the seen, visible world. That's now called the germ theory of disease. It's why today you wash your hands often. It's why when you go to a hospital, they have these um, 
sanitizers on the wall, and we even have them here when you come into First Baptist, that you can put on some germ-killing type sanitizers. It's why many times when I even go to the hospital and visit some of uh, people from First Baptist, that uh, people are quarantined, and I have to wear a mask and a gown and gloves as well, because germs can be passed back and forth. And when people uh, are sick at a certain level, they kind of quarantine and don't let visitors in without doing that. But years ago, century ago, uh, that invisible world was not thought about or seen. But today we take it as very real because we know it's true. So here's the rub. The rub is not in the physical world. Let's pass this over to the spiritual world. The Bible talks about we have an invisible power that is working against us. It's in the spiritual world, specifically Satan and the demonic that can wreak far greater damage on us than the invisible world of germs. Satan has a plan. He is active. He is involved. And usually in the 21st century, he works differently in our American culture. In fact, he is not very overt. He's kind of subtle. He's kind of covert in what he does. You want to go and see some overt demonic activity, go to, go to Africa, go to India, go to other places like that where they believe this wholeheartedly and it's in place and it doesn't scare them. But here in America, many people get kind of weirded out and freaked out. So Satan doesn't attack us very overtly. It's kind of more covert. But here's what Satan does. Satan will take just a little bit of truth and then he'll twist it. He'll take a little bit of truth that is true, and he'll get you to think otherwise on it, and he'll kind of just lead you and lead you and lead you and lead you until you're over to this place, which is very far from where you were over here. That's how Satan works. And he does that through media. He does that through television. He does that through the internet. He does that through academic world. He'll do that in a lot of different ways to get you moving afar. But, but he'll do it very slowly because he doesn't want to scare you and, and allow him to be exposed. In fact, let me just share with you this. Um, our Food and Drug Administration, um, you know, sometimes their standards are maybe a little lower than if we knew the full truth on them than we would want them to be. Um, if any of you use apple butter, um, uh, here's their standards on apple butter, okay? If the mold count is 12% or more, or if it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, or if it averages five or more whole insects per 100 grams, then the FDA will pull it off the shelves. But if it's less than that, then it goes on to your English muffin and enjoy. Right? That's, that, that's kind of what they're saying there. In fact, coffee beans, okay? Caffeine addicts beware on this one. Coffee beans will get withdrawn from the market if an average of 10% or more are insect infested, or if there is one live insect in each of two or more immediate containers. In other words, if there's just one container that has live insects in it, they say it's okay. But if there are two containers together and one of them has it, then they'll start to pull the whole lot. That's what our Food and Drug Administration does. Fig paste. I'm not sure if any of you eat the whole fig paste, but it says if there are more than 13 insect heads, per 100 grams of fig paste of two or more subsamples, then the FDA pulls it off the shelf, apparently meaning that other insect body parts are okay for you to eat um, if you don't, you don't want to just be staring at insect heads, I, I guess is what that's kind of getting at. Hot dogs. Does anybody want to know about hot dogs? Okay, then I will skip the hot dogs, all right? Let, let's not go to the hot dogs. Okay. 
Yeah. You get the point, though, don't you? You get the point. That if you knew more about maybe what was in there, you'd be a little bit more scared. And really, that, that's, how, that's how Satan works. He, he doesn't give you the full truth. He doesn't give it all to you. He's much more subtle than that. You know what Jesus does? He calls out Satan for who he is and what he is. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, Jesus shares a verse that many of us know. We might say it, not in its totality, but we may say it in abbreviated ways. Basically what Jesus is getting at in John 8, 32 is that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so he comes after Satan with his lies. And really I want to read from verses 44 and 45 of John chapter 8. Jesus in this passage is kind of going after some of the Jews and some of the Pharisees. And he's trying to expose them with what they are saying. And here's what he says in verse 44. He says, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. Which, by the way, if you want to try that out with your boss or in an argument this next week, just lay that one out there, right? You are of the devil. <laughs> See how far that goes for you, right? Okay? You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, has nothing to do with truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which, by the way, you know where it says, you see where it says he is a murderer? We usually associate the devil with, with, with the ma masculine form, don't we? I, I mean, isn't it incredible in 2017 how many people want to kind of even change God's pronoun, like, like the she, like, like mother God, right? They, they'll want to do that. But you don't see anybody doing that with the devil, do you? It's kind of strange, huh? Jesus even goes after this. Later on in John chapter 14, where he shares about how um, Satan is, a, go ahead and go to that, Susan, John chapter 14, verse 30, where it says, I don't have much more to say to you. He says, for the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. Because Jesus is saying, I have the truth. And he's already said the truth will set you free. See, we live in this twisted, deceived generation that is steeped in believing there is no absolute truth. And that the Bible should be discounted. In fact, um, I came across this magazine article on August 3rd, 2017, just this last year, just a few months ago, where it said, Time Magazine came out and said, is truth dead? Is truth dead? To many people across this nation, yes, it is. To many people around this world, unfortunately, yes, it is. We live in that culture that says there's no absolute truth. You do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Anything goes. What works for you works for me. What works for me, I don't need to have it work for you. In fact, you can decide how you want to go to heaven. I'll decide how I want to go to heaven. We'll just end up there at the same place. And God's word says, uh-uh, no way. 
that there is a way, a truth, and a life. That is through Jesus Christ. And that is what God's truth is about. We do not, we should not be in a world that says anything goes. Because you know what the Bible says about that? Look at Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but in the end it leads to what? And that is what is dead. That is what will lead to death. Which, you know, by the way, we've been here before. Bible shares in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, that there was a generation after Moses. And there was a generation after Joshua. And it says all that generation, Moses, Joshua, they were gathered to their fathers. They passed away. It says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Is that not one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible? And what happens at the end of Judges, the very, very last verse of Judges, you can look this one up as well, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, says, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right, what does it say there? In their own eyes. And that's the world that we live in today. I mean, that is why this city, this community, needs First Baptist here that teaches the truth of God's Word more than ever. That is why we have chosen to be in the heart of the city with the heart for our city right here in Stockton First Baptist. That is why I believe also God is opening up and, and enlarging our territory with the possibility of purchasing the Scottish Rite building right over here to say, keep doing it. Keep spreading the word. Keep getting in front of more and more and more and more people. That we'd be a congregation who would keep inviting and inviting and inviting. Come and hear the truth of God's word. That we would do anything and everything we could to share the gospel message. That is what we need to be about. We need, to be, we need to continue to grow. We need to continue to expand. In fact, Esther Smith was at our last meeting. She's one of our last service. She's one of our um, senior saints around here. And as she looked at the property next door, she reminded me. She said this. She said, Pastor Brad, I want to remind you, God is making more people, but he's not making more land. I said, good point, Esther. Except in Hawaii, volcanoes are coming up, and they're kind of growing the land there. And she kind of looked at me like, Really? Okay. Yeah. You don't need to go there, right? It's not. The, the, if, if we don't can, this, the vote tonight that we have is to say, God, will you continue to do a work and grow in our ministry, not only now, but in the future to come? Because they need to know. The world, this city needs to be aware. This culture needs to know that there's absolute truth in God's word more than ever. It's why we're encouraging you to come through the walk through the New Testament, so that you can understand how it all fits together. It's why we are challenging you, get into a community, get into people's homes where you can open up God's Word and study it and see how it applies to you and see how it works in your life. Your children, let me be real honest with you, if you have children or grandchildren, your children your grandchildren need to be here on Sunday mornings. They need to be here on Wednesday nights with the Iwana program or in our youth ministry. They need to be here because they are hearing plenty from the world. But they need to hear God's truth or else we will end up with a generation like Judges. That everyone decided what was right in their own eyes. That there was a generation that grew up who did not know
I mean, let me tell you how simple this is, how, how it comes upon us. Um, I was playing basketball a number of months ago with a gentleman who I didn't play basketball with in about 10 years. So we, we opened up our gymnasium. We'd invite people to come in. And it was a guy who had been playing with us for a number of years. And then for about a decade there, he didn't come. And uh, I saw him a couple months ago. And so we were just talking in between games. And, and I asked him how he was doing. I asked him how the family was doing. Um, he said, yeah, we're doing well. He did not attend here. He's never attended here at First Baptist. He attends another great church here in the community. And he said this. He said, yeah, we're, we're doing well. Girls are almost off the college. Um, I said, uh, that's cool. And, and, he, and he said this. He said, because uh, I'd asked him, I said, are you still going to this church? He said, no. You know, my wife and I, we hadn't been going for, for a number of years. He said, but we just talked this last month. He said, our kids are almost off to college. He said, my wife and I just said, life is going to now slow down. And it's time to start going back to church. And I thought, on the one hand, okay, good, you're back in church. But on the other hand, this is what was so sad. You've missed your opportunity to raise your children in God's truth. You've missed the opportunity to have them be exposed to a church that believes God's word, to a church and a family of community that comes together and worships and understands how to do that. You've missed the opportunity to show them how important God is, how important the truth is to you and your home, and how important church is for the rest of their lives. You've missed an opportunity, and I just want to encourage you that if you are here today and you have influence over your grandchildren or your children are still in your home, do everything you can to bring them and expose them to God's Word. Do everything you can to not have it just be something that is even a one day a week, even Sunday morning type of thing, but live it out in their presence as well in your life. Because what's interesting about real truth is that being able to see it, how Satan kind of twists it so covertly, you don't need a microscope. You know, it's not about seeing those invisible germs. You just need to look in the rearview mirror. And when you look in the rearview mirror, you can see some of the stuff that, yep, I missed it. Yep, Satan was so deceptive over there. And we see how he works even in our lives. When he feeds our minds with what the culture says, there's no truth, anything goes. And when you get fed that enough, you begin to believe it. In fact, it is scary how people, when they tell themselves a lie enough, they begin to believe it. it that goes on today in so many ways. It's the old Seinfeld episode, if you used to watch that show back in the 90s, where George tells Jerry, Jerry, if you believe it, it's not a lie. And I think we as a culture have bought that hook, line, and sinker. The more we say it, the more we say it, even if it's not truth, the more we say it, we talk ourselves into it, and we believe it. You know what this world needs? This world needs people who are willing to step up and say, it's not only things I believe, but it's things that I follow and do. Because I'll be honest, most of us in here probably would not say, okay, there's no absolute moral truth in this life. Most of us would not say, yeah, I, I think it's okay to murder. I think it's okay to cheat on uh, my wife or my spouse, my husband. Yeah, I think it's okay to steal from my work. Most of us would not say that. But what we probably would do is we'd probably Christianize a few things. 
we would probably say, well, you know what, um, uh, that speed limit, that's 45 miles an hour, it really should be 60, and so I'll just go at 60. Been there. We probably would be the ones to say, well, you know what, that tax deduction, come on, come on, really, is this what holds me back? It should be a tax deduction. In fact, it probably will be someday, so I'll just go ahead and take it now. Are we the ones who say, well, you know, that company policy, ah, that's just so restrictive. Really? We can do it. It's okay. It's not hurting anyone. Ah, a little white lie, no big deal. And we do that, and then we have a generation of people who say, hey, weren't you at church this last week? Hey, aren't you the one who kind of talks about praying for people? Or even worse, maybe you have kids or grandkids in your home that see some of those actions, see some of the things that don't measure up, and it causes great confusion in their lives because they hear us talk about it, want our kids to be raised in that way, but then maybe our actions don't follow it. And you know, I know there's no perfect people, but I pray that God's conscience would get a hold of us and say, no, God, I want to, in every area of my life, be following your truth. And God, would you speak to me when I'm not? And may I take the right steps. As I said, this city of Stockton needs people who will live out their faith in radical ways. That we will be uncompromising with our worldviews and with our beliefs. And what we will be able to explain not only what we believe, but why we believe it. That's the series that I'll be going over for the next five weeks. That we'll be able to not only understand what we believe, but why we believe it as well. Not, not just, you know, the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to follow all those, but follow them, yes, not in just an action, but also in thought and all the other things that God gives to us. This is not a flesh and blood battle, folks. This is a spiritual battle that we're going through. Satan is trying everything he can to trip you up. He is trying everything he can to get you thinking otherwise and acting otherwise. In fact, if you have kids still in your home or grandkids, pray this prayer over them. Proverbs 38, keep falsehood and lies from me. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Pray that your children would be raised in that kind of an understanding. Falsehood lies off the table. In fact, probably the verse in the New Testament that teaches so radically how we should live is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And let me read it from you from the message version, first of all, because it gives us some great little insights. Let me read this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God, God helping you, not on your own power, but God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as a what? As an offering. God, here it is. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Ah, that's where many have gone. It goes on in the next verse. It says this, instead fix your attention on God. And you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. 
quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's my prayer for us. In fact, NIV says it just succinctly at the end of verse 1, says it like this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be, what's the word? Transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. I pray when you come here that it's not just even though a transaction, oh, there's a few verses, a little humor, okay, good, kept me entertained for just a little bit. I did not off this week, Pastor Brad, good for you. Music, yeah, okay, that was good. But it wouldn't be like that. That it would be a place of saying, ah, thank you for these great godly reminders. I will take them now and put them into practice. Thank you for the encouragement not to even just open my Bible here on a Sunday morning, but that I will do it every day. And God's spirit will be living and active and alive in us. So when we leave this place, our community will know we have been in the presence of God Almighty. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and the truth that it teaches. We know our culture feels that truth is dead, that people make up their own truth. But God, we know that your word is alive, and your word is what we base our truth upon. Folks, if you're honest here today, I know some of you would say, yep, I've, I've been slipping and sliding. I have not had a firm grasp upon God's truth in my life. I've let the culture come too far in. I've thought too far in culture worldly ways. And folks, if that's you here today, would you just give that up to God? Would you say, God, get those things out of my life? God, would your spirit be alive in me? Would your spirit be active this week and specifically show me things I need to give up so I can be a more godly person. Perhaps even now, you pray that prayer and listen to his voice speak to you in that way. Folks, my prayer would be that when you leave this place here today, you'll have steps to take in becoming a more God, godly follower. For some of you here today, and I pray there's many of you, you've not made that commitment yet. The commitment is saying yes to Jesus. The commitment is saying, yes, Jesus, I want your truth to set me free. And that truth is that God sent his son Jesus to go to the cross to die for you. And by his sin substitutionary sacrifice on that cross, he has opened a way for you to have new life. And simply believing in that, saying, yes, God, I receive your son Jesus as Lord and Savior, by faith, I trust and I put my faith in him. That's where your step of new life comes. That's where truth now comes into your life. And if you can even just say those words right now, Lord Jesus, today I place my trust in you. And God promises by the power of his Holy Spirit to come into your heart and your life. Maybe you have not taken a step of baptism yet. Maybe you feel like you've taken the step of faith, but you've not been baptized right after this service. I challenge you to meet Pastor Derek, and he will share and explain about that commitment that you make and that great statement of saying, yes, I follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe today's your day. 
putting a stake in the ground and saying, I'm in. I believe. I'm turning from my ways. I'm following Jesus. You know, if you made a prayer like that here today, I'd love it if you come talk to me after the service or talk to the friend who brought you. We have some great information we want to share with you to give to you, to help you take those steps. And now putting God's word and God's truth into your life so that you can live it out in great faith. God, thank you for this opportunity we've had to expose some of the things that our culture has brought upon us, to expose what Satan has been doing. God, we know that you are greater. Greater is he who is in us. You are greater than Satan who is a schemer of this world, the prince of this world. God, we look above. We look above to the unseen and know how active and alive you are. God, may our lives be more alive, alive with your love and alive with your truth because your word is alive in us. For it's in the name of Jesus, who went to the cross to die for us and rose again to new life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this powerful prayer.